Hey, Packaging Peeps. So thanks so much for joining me on Package Design Unbox. This is Avelio Matos. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. It's midnight on Thursday, July 29th. So it was Wednesday, like 10 minutes ago, um, two minutes ago. And I you know, had a great clubhouse this afternoon. Uh, There's a lot of questions regarding sustainable packaging. You know, I'm talking to different brands. I'm having the same conversation with them. They're asking the same things about sustainable packaging. And what I thought is, you know what, I'm going to hop on here. I'm going to record this episode and just go into that main conversation you know, that I find myself having with brands on a daily basis. I'm going to reveal what the secret to sustainable packaging is. Um, hopefully, we get to the end of it. If not, we'll finish part two uh, on another day. But what I hear is, what the hell is sustainable packaging? And how do we become more sustainable? But brands aren't asking those questions in that order. Right? Actually, they ask how they can be more sustainable first. And then they share all of the materials they've researched or heard of somewhere. And once I explain how any of these materials impact your supply chain, your manufacturing or the recycling stream, consumer experience, or essentially anything that makes me out to be that Debbie Downer in the meeting, then and only then do brands ask them, then what the hell is sustainable packaging? So I'm going to break that down for you uh, the same way that I break it down for my clients. But before we do that, you need to define what sustainability means to you or to your brand. Just like the CEO of Tiffany, you know, he may hate Robin's Egg Blue, but the brand is Robin's Egg Blue. It doesn't matter what he thinks. So what does sustainability mean to your brand? Is it reuse? Is it reducing, recycling, carbon targets? Or is it all of the above? But you need to begin identifying what is important to your brand. Otherwise, you're going to hire an outside agency they're going to come in and they're going to tell you what is important to your brand. And they're going to align that to whatever it is that they're personally strong in. Not always necessarily what's best for you. So how do you break down sustainability? Right? Well, the way that I do it for my clients is you know, I lay it out like this. Number one, sustainability isn't an action or a reaction. It's actually inaction. And what I mean by that is the most sustainable packaging is no packaging. Because there's no waste. There's no resulting materials. It doesn't impact the natural world around us. This is what we should strive for. The no bullshit reality here is that your product is probably causing enough impact so you can do it without packaging. Of course, if you're packaging food, then yeah, you know, it's pretty critical to avoid spoilage. Um, but the reality is, you know, we need packaging. So how do we minimize that? It's also important to consider the sustainability of your business. In order to do that, every solution needs to consider the viability of your business. There's no point in doubling your packaging spend to use the next buzzword material if that's going to cut down your margins to unprofitable levels. Right? Your business can't be sustainable and maintain everyone employed if you land on packaging that isn't within your budgets. So we're going to need to bring in the finance team once we're done to make sure that everything allows for your business's continued growth. Now, next... We're going to discuss LCAs. An LCA at this stage, at this early stage of the process, is probably a good idea. You know, though LCAs don't account for every scenario, most do a pretty good job of painting a clear picture of your carbon footprint. And even though the most sustainable packaging is no packaging, that's not a reality for most brands. In fact, there's literally tons of packaging required before the product gets into the hands of your client. So I typically take each brand through the life cycle of their product from manufacturing to getting it on display on shelf uh, to the distribution center, and then on to 
you know, whatever that end life scenario is. It's like I'm having a couple of drinks. We go through that entire life cycle. You know, we look at all the packaging that's required to make that product. You know, where is it coming from? What happened to it after it's used? Can we use a better material for that packaging so we can reuse it for the next leg of transport? You know, how is that material being recycled? Is it being recycled? And this is all the stuff like, you know, if you're making wallets, for example, how is the leather for that wallet being transported from wherever it's being transported from to wherever it's being manufactured? Right? How is that being packaged? You know, can we re- can we reuse that packaging for when the wallets are made and put those in? Can we reuse those as mar- master cartons? Can we reuse that stuff? Um, you know, and maybe right now the material that you're using is is crap coriate. You know, can we pay a little bit more to make that material a little bit better so we can get a few more uses out of it? Um, sometimes there's cost savings in there and a better sustainability story that happens there. Um, you know, then let's focus on, you know, at that point, we can then kind of focus on, you know, how's the product being transported to the fulfillment location, right? Where's that fulfillment location and why is it there? Because it's more sustainable to produce your packaging close to your product so your packaging can be delivered to your product manufacturer to fulfill it once, you know, it's in their facility, right? So for example, if, um, again, if I'm making wallets in Shenzhen, should my manufacturer be close to Shenzhen, my packaging manufacturer be close to there so they can just truck over the packaging and the leather goods factory can then pack out the products in the packaging. And then you're shipping one complete unit, right? One turnkey unit versus shipping your wallets and shipping your empty boxes to another location to be packed out. You know, there's a lot of movement that happens and that just increases your carbon footprint. Right, so you want to be able to to consider those things. You know, sometimes it makes sense. You know, for example, if your leather goods uh, factory or the factory that's making your your purses or your hats or you know whatever widget they're making, maybe they don't have the capabilities to pack out your product in your packaging. Sometimes it makes sense to buy the equipment to do this, to make the investment and buy whatever type of equipment's required to do the pack out. One, it's an investment on your part to make sure that that factory can be profitable, but also beneficial to your business. There's a lot of cost savings in doing something like that. Of course, you've got to be at a larger scale in order to do that than you know being a startup. All right, so now let's focus on the packaging. But before we do that, let's take a look at the pallet. Right, yeah, you know that wooden pallet, you know the pallet that holds all of your products, master cartons uh, in a, that fit into a container. You know, unless you're one of these manufacturers, distribution distribution centers that are sophisticated enough or have even considered the fact that you know you can receive a slip sheeted floor loaded container right you can use you can remove those items with a um, what's called a push pull forklift and there's a few names for that but basically you can eliminate having pallets in your container which gains you an extra 6 to 12 inches inside the container just means you can pack more you don't have to worry about the pallets um, you know Having a pallet shortage, it's probably a good time to consider floor-loaded containers that are packed out in a way that you can use a push-pull forklift. Um, but let's break that down a little bit, right? So pallets, they're made to fit containers, right? They're made to maximize the floor space in the container and make it easy to remove those and to warehouse those, right? So a standard pallet dimension, those are about 48 by 40. They can range from five inches to six and a half inches in height. Now, yeah, the the pallets, are, there's a ton of different materials out there. There's like wood ones or paper ones. There's the plastic ones. I'm not a pallet guy, so you're gonna have to sort that out on your own. 
you know, talk to your importer and see what's available. Um, but you know, if you can get rid of it, you're probably better off. Right? So why does that matter for you know, when we're talking about sustainability? Why does that even matter? Um, why should we even care about the palette? We haven't even talked about the packaging, right? Because the packaging is the most important. Well, packaging is like one tiny little piece of a gigantic piece. So it's really smart to tackle this gigantic piece from the opposite end. Look at the final piece and then kind of work your way backwards. In this case, we're looking at everything else and we're working our way backwards to the packaging, right? So why, you know, why does that matter for sustainability? Because if you're master carton, right? Uh, let's say you're making wallets or whatever widget, that widget goes into a box. You don't ship that one box from your manufacturer. They're going to put 12, 18, 24, 48, whatever that number is into a master carton, or they might put in 24 into a carton, and then they put four cartons into a master carton. A master carton is what finally gets delivered to the end location, right? To your retail store. So when your retail store is ordering, they can only order in volumes of 48, right? Because that's what fits in your master carton. That's how you ship it. You're not, you're not going to take those apart. You're not going to break a master carton. That's going to impact your cost, your storage. It's a mess. So you've got to determine what those numbers are, make sure that it makes sense for you. But in order to do that, you've got to consider the pallet. You've got to consider the master cart. You've got to consider the container. And you know, the reason that it's important is because if your master carton, when it gets stacked on a pallet, if it hangs over your pallet or it doesn't take up the full space on the pallet, you're not maximizing the space. What ends up happening is you're shipping air in the container. You're shipping air between these pallets. You're shipping air um, because if you're having overhang, now you can't fit two side by side. Or you've got to twist one, which then reduces the number of pallets you can actually fit in there. You can't stack them. You know, all these little things impact sustainability. And it has nothing to do with recycling and it has nothing to do with materials. It has everything to do with the geometry of a container and a pallet and how your product fits on there. So the more air that you have in a container, the more that container costs in order to move it because you're paying to ship for, you know, you're paying to ship air instead of shipping your product. That means that you're having to ship two containers instead of one in which not only costs more, right? If you can reduce the amount of space in there, you can increase the volume of, of product reducing your cost. So this is why we need to look at the pallet before we design your packaging. Westpac, the largest packaging event on the West Coast, is back live on August 10th through the 12th at the Anaheim Convention Center. See the latest in packaging design and automation innovation from hundreds of packaging exhibitors. Boost your packaging knowledge from the free-to-attend packaging education shows that are live from the floor theaters. Now visit westpacshow.com to register for your free expo pass and use the promo code UNBOXED. UNBOXD to get 50% off the CanPack West conference and other design and manufacturing technical conference tracks. You're going to learn a ton about packaging, cannabis packaging, technical packaging, production, and you're going to meet a ton of exhibitors there. Get out, meet some people, and learn about packaging. International Direct Packaging. International Direct Packaging is the only factory direct packaging manufacturer. With global showrooms, they design and produce packaging for established luxury brands. Because IDP's team of packaging experts design and manufacture packaging, you get a more transparent supply chain. You're also not going to be paying distributor markups. Find the nearest IDP showroom to schedule your first packaging consultation at idpdirect.com. Because IDP doesn't source factories, they are the factory. IDP Direct.
MasterCardsLimited.com. Um, you know, MasterCartons, you know, how many products per MasterCarton? How many cartons per MasterCarton? Um, you know, there's not a standard answer there. You need to figure out what the numbers are that work for you within your supply chain, your distribution channels, and then within the dimensions of a pallet. Right. So now we've determined what these sizes are. We've created a nice set of parameters for your product packaging. Right. So what that means is now you've got an idea of how big of a space you've got to work with your pallets, you know, 48 by 40, um, your 40 foot container, you know, the, the inner walls, the inner height, those are all pretty standard as well. You got to see how, how you can pack out your pallets to maximize that space. And that's where you kind of work your way backwards into the packaging. Right. So now you got these parameters for your product packaging. This is a no bullshit way to discover the dimensions of your product packaging. Now, of course, the product's going to dictate a lot of that, but because size matters, it's best to start from the outside and work your way in, and then you can make any adjustments from there. Right? Work with a packaging engineer to develop the most efficient packaging dimensions and protective designs for your product. Right? So what are we going to make the packaging out of? Now that we know the size, we know what our product is, obviously, because it's our product. What are we going to make that packaging out of? You know, is it paper, plastic? Is plastic evil? Well, plastic's not evil. Is paper the right solutions always? Uh, no, it's not the right solution either. Right? I can't give you the right answer here because every pack has its own requirements and there's going to be trade-offs that come with that. But what I can share with you is what I've learned about the two different materials that are out there, paper and packaging. And then there's a ton that you've got to learn about each of those materials that make sense for your brand. Right, so I'm going to give you a few paper brands to check out. Um, I'm going to let you know uh, what the benefits are from these materials. You know, if you reach out to any of these companies, let them know I sent you. They probably don't know who I am, but maybe they'll advertise on the podcast and that'll be awesome. Right, so paper. There's a ton of papers out there with a lot of different certifications. You know, PCW. Right, that means that the paper uses post-consumer waste in the manufacturing of the paper. The reason you want to use this is that you create a pull. Right, you create a demand for buying recycled paper. The more recycled paper that we use, the more recycling centers are incentivized to recycle it. So you help kind of turn that wheel. You're creating the pull, they're creating the push. It's that supply and demand. If you're using PCW paper, then you want to aim for 40% or higher content of PCW. Now, what you're using that paper for, if you're making a, um, a unicarton or you're making a shopping bag or you're using it for wrapping around a rigid box, um, there's going to be limitations to how much PCW you can actually put in there. Because sometimes it's a shorter fiber um, and that's going to add, end up cracking in some instances. Now, there are some papers out there that are 100% PCW that are amazing. I'll give you some names uh, of those papers uh, at the end here. Now, anything less than 40% of paper, you know, 40% PCW in your paper is not really making a big difference, right? So you want to make as big a dent as possible. When you go to PCW papers, your paper's not going to be super bright white. Um, there are a couple brands out there that do have really bright white post-consumer waste papers, but there's no guarantee because you never know. You, know, you can't control what's going into that post-consumer. It's post-consumer. So just think about everybody in your neighborhood and all the crap they're throwing in the recycle bin. Um, you know, you've got yellow paper, green paper, newsprint, stuff that's printed a bunch of different colors. When that stuff gets mixed together and it gets processed and bleached, that color is not going to be as bright white as if it was a virgin paper. Right? There's a few instances where you can get some great paper. Um, it's still amazing paper. 
you just have to consider that your paper is not going to be super bright white. How important is that to you versus having this sustainability story? Um, you know, but regardless, you can print it, offset, um, flex. So you can do anything you want with it that you could with anything else. The, off, the final print might be a little bit duller, might be a little bit grayer, but it's still going to look good. You just have to adjust your expectations, right? Don't print out a proof on your Epson and think you're going to hit it. You're not, I mean, you're probably not even going to hit, you know, you're not going to match an Epson regardless of the process you're using or the paper you're using. Um, unless you're printing it on an Epson, you're doing one at a time in your office, right? Then there's also FSE, right? The Ford, the Forest Stewardship Council. Now this paper, it comes from sustainable forests. I don't know what a sustainable forest is. Um, you know, you can buy FSE paper, but to actually print the FSE logo on it, you've got to pay a premium. So you can buy FSE paper for your packaging and not print the FSE logo on it, and it's cheaper. You can buy the same paper to make the same box and print the FSE logo to tell consumers that this paper is made, you know, it's certified FSC. You've got to pay more. One question I always ask is, do consumers even know what the hell FSC means? It's a question you've got to ask. Right? And what you get with that certification is you get this chain of custody right? you can track back to where this paper came from, what forest it came from, um, you know, and who's touched it all the way along the way, because anybody that's handling this paper has to be FSE certified. Manufacturer, transporter, all these different people have to be FSE certified. Now, who's managing these forests? I don't know. What does a sustainable forest look like? I still don't know. Um, but, you know, I am working to find out. You know, do you get more impact from using PCW versus FSC? Maybe. Is FSC, you know, have the new Dolphin Safe logo? You know, watch, uh, watch Seaspiracy. I don't know. I don't know yet. Um, then there's also hemp paper. Right? There's a lot of talk about hemp because there's a lot of cannabis uh, products and packaging out there at the moment. You know, I, but one thing I learned was that hemp you know, it has really short fibers. Uh, and this is from talking to a variety of different uh, paper companies. I, I spoke to Mohawk. I spoke to Ecological. Um, I've spoken to a few others. Um, and basically with hemp, there it, there's really short fibers and to make a quality paper you need really long fibers so in order to do this you've got to have hemp and then it requires a lot of virgin paper in order to add the strength to the paper now the strength is the ability to fold without cracking the pull the push um, you know be able to, to take print go through all the different processing without um, failure right without tearing without warping um, you know, why does that matter? Why should you care? Because if you're, you're, you're going to have to max out at about 15 to 20% hemp content in a sheet. If we're talking about PCW paper, you, know, you want to get above 40% post-consumer waste. Here you're getting about 15% of hemp in a sheet. You're not getting a lot of value there. Also, I learned that hemp isn't processed in the United States as a, you know, it's not processed here at scale the scale that we need uh, in order to make a difference. So what that means is you're buying, you know, if you're buying a U.S. sheet, then your hemp is coming from Europe, you know, and there goes your carbon footprint, right? We're importing hemp from other countries that have a better system in place to process hemp for paper. And then we're processing it here, you know, again, post-consumer waste or hemp, you know, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. 
you know, in terms of sustainability, you get a sustainable story because it's hemp. In, in terms of branding, if it makes sense for your brand to use hemp, that's awesome. Uh, but then also look at the paper, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to compete on shelf. You want to compete with user experience. You want consumers to be really excited about the, the pack and the product. You know, we, I don't lose sight of that. So if there's a beautiful hemp paper out there that tells your story, that has you know that rough touch to it, that has the tactile quality that communicates your brand, by all means use it. But for this conversation, I just want to focus on sustainability. You know, regardless of materials, like let's just focus on on what that means because so many people out there are so confused. Right? Hemp is great. Um, you just can't have too much of it in your paper, so you're not going to get as big of a bang for your buck. The other thing too is it recycles. It recycles beautifully. You know, it's just another uh, fiber, not a problem. Um, then just like that, just like hemp, there's cotton. Uh, cotton paper. Sometimes people are like, "Oh, I didn't know we, you know, you can make paper out of cotton." We've made paper out of cotton for hundreds of years. Um, not a problem. Your dollar bill, cotton, right? Um, so it's been made by cotton. It's made. It's been made from cotton for forever, like literally. Uh, so there's a lot of cotton papers out there that, that use recycled fibers, recycled fabrics. Uh, some of those use denim. Some of them use white t-shirts. Uh, there's a, a ton of things out there uh, in terms of cotton. There's just, you know, just the cotton, um, uh, just from, from the cotton industry. So this is typically going to be like industrial waste, so not post-consumer waste. Um, if it didn't become paper, they would probably just recycle it and make new fiber out of it out of it or landfill it. So one thing that you should do is just ask where that material comes from, right? If it's industrial waste, think about um, a white t-shirt when they cut the holes out, when they cut the shape out, all the excess stuff, that's what's being turned into paper, right? If it didn't, be, if it didn't turn into paper, what would it turn into? That's the difference you're making by choosing that material. Now with cotton, you can have higher content. So that's a great story. And the paper feels amazing. It feels like this the best t-shirt you've ever you know you've ever had right it's not like a Hanes shirt it's like a calvin klein white t-shirt um and you can get up to 100 percent cotton paper right because we've been doing it forever so you get a little bit more bang for your buck it, again you have to feel it to believe it it does feel like a piece of fabric it's amazing it wraps beautifully it holds up really well um Again, it's industrial versus post-consumer. So there is a sustainability story. Just be honest with your, with your consumer. You know, if it makes sense for your brand, cotton's a great way. And there's a ton of other papers out there. Um, they're made out of straw. They can be made out of barley. I just spoke to uh, Keenan Thompson from AV InBev. They made uh, some paper, paperboard out of barley, had some beer waste, and you know, amazing, printed well, looked beautiful, had a great texture. Felt like a beer, um, again, made sense for the brand. There's a papers out there made out of seaweed, out of palms. There's a ton of different materials. You, you think of it, there's a paper out there, right? Coffee grounds, like whatever, there's, there's a paper out there. Check them all out and then ask where that source material comes from. Find out how much that fiber, you know, how much of that fiber actually makes it into the paper and what's the highest content that they can get to, you know, before that paper fails. Right, so they may they may offer a paper that's made out of I don't know dirt, and it's ten percent uh, content. Right, you know, you pick a material, whatever it is, you know, and they, they can only put ten percent in there. Ask, can you get to fifty percent? Right, maybe they never had anybody ask that. 
or they don't have enough interest in there to, to experiment to go further. But if you're there asking, can we push this further? Paper mills are more than happy to test it or just as happy to tell you we've tried it and we, we can't get past 30%. Right? Whatever this percentage is that we've, we've hit the limit, we've tested it. You don't want to go above that. Listen to them. They know what they're talking about. Um, you know, and, and just make sure that whatever paper that you choose, you don't apply the film lamination to it. Right? I see this a ton. People buy a beautiful sheet of paper and then they apply a film lamination to it. You know why? Because Apple does it, right? Because you know your Apple iPhone box, when you feel it, it feels soft and smooth, feels soapy. Um, that's a lamination, right? That's a plastic film lamination on top of paper, and it prints well, right? It prints really well, so you you get a great print on your paper. It needs a coating in order to print on there to then adhere the film lamination to it. Colors just stand out. Um, if it gets dirty during fulfillment, distribution, you can just wipe it off the film. It looks amazing. But you can't recycle that shit. So don't put film lamination on your packaging. You know, and then also, you know, talk to, you know, also talk to like, I don't know, pick up the phone and talk to like your MRFs, right? This, the trick to sustainability is finding if there's a demand for the material that your packaging is made of. doesn't matter what it is. And the way that you do this is you pick up the phone and you call the recycling centers in the area where you're selling your product, right? So if you've got a local product, you call the three to four or five MRFs that collect recyclables in that area and ask them if they recycle that material. Don't ask them if they can recycle it because yeah, everything is recyclable. You know, whatever the material is, Take a picture of it, send it to them. And if they say no, they don't accept that material. They don't recycle that material. They wouldn't be happy if that material showed up at their MRF. Then don't choose that material. It doesn't matter what claims or what studies that material, that supplier has. Who cares? Who cares what certifications it has? If the recycling centers don't want it, don't buy it. Simple as that. Yeah, and then just make sure, again, don't apply a film lamination to the packaging. Don't apply a film lamination to the packaging. It's not recyclable. And yes, there is such a thing as recyclable film lamination, but it's only industrially recyclable. And that is before it's been attached to paper, right? So the paper that makes that film lamination that sells you recyclable film lamination, they can recycle it. You know, all the little scraps that, that, that don't get applied to the paper all those little pieces, that stuff is recyclable if it goes through a specific process. So you can say, yeah, it's recyclable. And once you apply it to paper, it's not wanted by the MRFs. They don't, you know, recycling centers don't want that stuff. Um, now, some municipalities, uh, different regions will accept paper that has lamination on it. Uh, it might get incinerated or it gets downcycled and they sell it as mixed material. That can then be used for you know, industrial applications like pavement, cement, drywall, roofing tiles, and a bunch of other stuff that takes it out of the cycle forever, right? So you get this beautiful paper, you apply a film lamination to it, you put a recycling icon on the bottom of it because it can get recycled. It is recyclable technically. Uh, it gets to your MRF, then they sell it to somebody that then turns it into pavement. Is that recycled? Technically, yes. Is it downcycled? Damn straight. 
And if you're gonna sell, you know, if you're gonna put package, if you're gonna put packaging out there that is downcyclable, you know, or gets downcycled, say so. Say, hey, this, this, you know, my brand chose to downcycle this. So this is never gonna come back into the uh, into the waste stream. We're never gonna see this as, as paper again. It's turning into uh, you know pavement. And if you don't feel comfortable saying that, then you probably shouldn't feel comfortable buying it. But there's compostable, compostable paper. Um, all paper is technically compostable. You know, our bodies are compostable. But you're, you know, you're not burying grandma in the garden, right? I hope. But if you're expecting to sell only one of your product to each family once a year, then home compostable might make sense. But if you're expecting to buy, you know, if you're expecting for them to buy your product more frequently than that, then maybe not, right? How much room do you have in your yard, right? If you're at a brand, you're listening to this, just think about your home. How much room do you have in your yard, in your home to actually compost packaging? Think about the Amazon boxes. Think about all the different packaging that you have. You know, do you even have a yard? Would you be able to compost that packaging? Just think of your own packaging that you're, that you're designing here that's trying, that's trying to be sustainable. Right? If you've got a, a fragrance line, cosmetic line, if you've got shopping bags, all these different components, they're compostable. Would you be able to compost that packaging once a month, knowing that it takes longer than a month to compost, right? It's going to build up. Plus, you've got to have other stuff in there. You can't just have a bin full of packaging expecting it to compost. No, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have dirt. You've got to have organic material. You've got to, all these different things. Do you have room for that? And if not, then you can't assume that your consumers you know, magically have acres in Fantasy Island to compost your packaging. They don't. And you know what? They don't even have time. And most don't even give a shit. So it's going to end up in the recycling in the recycling bin or the landfill. So just consider the reality of composting. Right. So some paper companies that you should know. Um, you know, kind of wrapping up paper. There's a ton more about paper, but I think this is plenty. Um, some some paper companies that you should know. James Cropper. They've got a killer paper that is made from recycled coffee cups. Um, I, I worked on a project for. Um, IDPdirect.com. Uh, they manufactured the they manufactured the packaging that I did for a company called Walpole. It's a really sustainable solution. Uh, it's this paper that's made from recycled coffee cups. Recycled coffee cups are really strong. They've got really long fibers. Um, it's beautiful, and they're able to make it at 100% post-consumer waste. Right? These are post-consumer coffee cups that would never get recycled because they can't get rid of the plastic on the inside. Um, well, Cropper's found out how to do it. So amazing. Then there's GF Smith. Now those guys have, you know, GF Smith have some amazing, beautiful paper. Uh, they got, they have some stuff made out of straw. They've got some stuff with different fibers. They look and they feel incredible. They also hold color really well. And when you get into some of these really textured papers, applying like a deboss is amazing because you've got all this texture and then you press out the texture and all of a sudden you've got uh, just this beautiful relief that happens there. Um, they also can do um, paper that's recycled out of coffee cups. GF and Cropper had some agreement somewhere else down the line. They both work on, on a similar project. Amazing stuff. Then there's Fedrigoni. I just love saying Fedrigoni. It just sounds so Italian. But uh, they've got some beautiful papers too that are made 100% out of post-consumer waste. They've got really bright whites. Uh, with post-consumer waste paper. Um, so just something really interesting. 
you know, check them out. Of course, they've got other papers too. They've got some black papers. They've got you know every color under the rainbow papers, uh, lots of different textures, beautiful stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Eska, E-S-K-A. Now, these guys make a rigid board that's made out of denim waste, right? So think about your jeans, the way they look and the way they feel. They make board that looks and feels the same way. And they make it out of denim, like literally out of denim. And they've also got some other great PCW solutions. But what's great about Eska is they've got their paper and their boards have really low humidity content. So what's going to happen is that paper and that board is going to warp less in global environments. So if your product is going to China, to Florida, Atlanta, you know, Greece, where you're having some humidity, your, your packaging is not going to warp. It's going to sit in a warehouse for six months. That is really, it's really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter. Those temperature changes aren't going to warp that board. So definitely some really cool stuff there. Um, again, sustainable uh, and beautiful. Then there's Mohawk. Mohawk paper. You know, these guys are super innovative. They're US-based. They just launched a series of sustainable paper that uses hemp. They've got one that uses t-shirts, one that uses denim. Not to mention, they've got a ton of other papers that are really cool. Um, and what's awesome about Mohawk is they're willing to run, you know, test sheets of different things. You've got a great idea, you know, for a paper. It makes sense for your brand as long as you're at a good volume. They're, you know, they're willing to try it. You know, they're pretty experimental and they're super creative. So check them out, Mohawk papers. Then there's French papers. Petrogoni sounds super Italian. French paper? Well, it's not French. Um, it's named after their founder, whose last name was French. Now, these guys make paper that's using hydroelectric power. A lot of the paper companies do. Uh, but you know, these guys have a lot of really cool papers. They've got a paper that I love, which is, um, I think it's called like Butcher or something like that. But it feels like the butcher paper that you would see on um, like the Brady Bunch, right? Where the butcher guy, Sam the Butcher, whatever his name was, would rip out this big sheet of paper and wrap the, the meat in there and give it to Alice and hit on her. Well, that paper... They make a paper that looks beautiful, looks exactly like that, and it takes color amazingly. Um, they've got a lot of cool stuff, high PCW content, hydroelectric power. That's another story that you can tell. Then there's ecological fiber. I mean, the name says it all. Check them out. Ecological has hemp. They've got cotton. You know, you name it. They've got a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, and they offer, you know, paper around the world. All these guys do. So what else? Plastic. I'm not a plastics expert, but I've worked with a lot of plastics. And most importantly, I've spoken to a lot of MERVs. One of the facts that stands out regarding plastic is that less than 9% recycling rate of plastic, right? This doesn't account for all the plastic that's in the product, but isn't recycled either. So that number has got to be even smaller than 9%. And 9% is pretty sad. Now, since there's so many variations of plastic, I'm going to try to keep this simple because I can't remember all of them right now. It's uh, 20 to 1. Um, but plastics, right? In many instances, it is more sustainable than paper. Now, you know, I said it. The truth is that I hate to admit it, but the issue is the recycling rates of plastic versus paper. And that's where plastic falls apart. So use plastics that are meant for recycling, not the type of recycling. That we, that we might have in 2030, 2035, 2040. We don't need to worry about that recycling at the moment, 
right? Not to develop sustainable packaging for today, right? So we have to focus on the recycling system that we've got today that's available in the regions that your product is sold in. So use high content PCR plastics, PCR, PCW, post-consumer waste, post-consumer recycled. Um, again, the more recycled material that you use, the more incentive there is for the companies to recycle more material. With plastics, don't combine plastics. Focus on monomaterial packaging. No paper, plastic horror stories, right? No film lamination, no aluminum and plastic together. Focus on monomaterial. And, and if you're if you're in the bottle business, then you know, don't apply a, an extra coat on the outside of your bottles, plastic bottles, to get a shine on them so they can stand out on shelf. Dull is cool if it's monomaterial, right? That extra coating is what makes it not recyclable or difficult to recycle or unwanted. Um, you know, compostable, just say no, right? Nancy Reagan, just say no. Compostable, just say no. Again, consumers don't live in this fantasy land where they, where they can compost all of their packaging. Plus, the truth is that most compostable packaging requires industrial composting, which isn't widely available. Many don't even want your packaging. So just say no. Uh, this gives the consumer the wrong idea a lot of the times. Right? If you're a packaging designer, if you're a packaging manufacturer, uh, if you're a buyer of packaging, you're around packaging a lot, you think about packaging quite a bit. Your consumers, they don't give a shit about packaging. They don't think about it once. Um, so when they see a compostable symbol or they see this packaging is compostable, they think, I can recycle it. It'll compost. I can throw it in the landfill. It'll compost in the landfill. I can throw it on the street. It'll degrade. It'll disappear. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? You know, and, and for, for them to think that they can, it doesn't matter where this ends up because it'll degrade anywhere. You know, if it does go to the landfill, nothing degrades in landfill the way that you think that it does. Also, if it ends up in the recycling stream, it degrades the output material, right? Recycling centers don't want compostables. Australia has banned it. Couple of other countries have banned it. it. You know, people don't want it. So just say no. Bioplastics, growing food crops for plastic. That doesn't even sound right, right? Just say no. They say it recycles like regular plastic. If it recycles like regular plastic, like PET, LDPE, HDPE, whatever, PE, then just use PET, LDPE, and HDPE. There's already a stream in place to manage that material. We're doing a terrible job at managing it. So don't add more confusion to this losing proposition. Adding color to your PET, you know, inserts, your bottles, your containers. Yeah, brand color is amazing. It can define your brand. But when it comes to plastics, here's kind of how it works. Yeah, your brand color is purple, but nobody's going to want a purple insert in their waste stream. Because right? everybody wants a clear or a natural colored post-consumer recycled material, right? If your brand was buying, think of it this way. If your brand was buying post-consumer recycled material, would you want it to come in with all these different colors mixed in? Reds and blues and browns and whatever, and it comes out like this gray sludgy color? No, right? The answer is no. You don't want to buy that crap. Nobody does either. So don't put your colored plastic into the recycling stream so that Somebody else has to try to figure out how to use that funky colored plastic. Keep it clear. Keep it natural. That's sustainable. 
right? And hopefully we can get people to stop adding color to it so that we can just focus on um, you know, recycling those materials more. You know, and the reason people want natural or clear is so that they can color it whatever color they want and then screw it up you know, two steps down the line. Design for recycling, keep it clear, keep it natural. Then there is conversation around reusable. So many brands want to ditch their paper bags for fabric totes. And then they realize that the fabric totes are super expensive. So what they do is they settle for cheaper fabric, like a NWPP. Right? NWPP is a non-woven polypropylene. This material lasts forever. Not literally, but pretty close. Right? It's a plastic that could be recycled if it wasn't turned into fabric. So essentially they melt the polypropylene. It, you know, the way it works is this gigantic machine. It drips down like you know, tiny little hairs, about two stories, and it lands on a conveyor belt. And this stuff just piles on. And imagine just like, you know, if you've got long hair and you've got a brush and it's full of hair, it looks like that on a gigantic conveyor belt. And then it goes through these rollers that press it. That's why, that's why it's not woven. It's just this pile of plastic hair, like a, like a Barbie doll. It's like essentially like you took a Barbie doll and you ironed her head. It's that. Um, so you've got all these long fibers that are never ending, that are pressed together. And it turns into a fabric. Now, where people get confused is, you know, PP is recyclable. Think of your yogurt container. That's PP, um, you know, polypropylene. That can be recycled. If it, that same material is turned into a fabric, then it can't. Technically, it can, but the reality is that it won't get recycled. You know, why? Because the fabric is going to tangle up the separating equipment at the MRF. You know, so they don't accept it. It's just, it just creates a whole gigantic issue at the recycling centers. It tangles up the equipment. Um, it causes fires. It's just a, it's a disaster. Nobody wants that material. Stop using that material unless you yourself, your brand can collect all of those from your consumer, you know, bring them back to the store. We're going to recycle them. And then you pay to recycle them in bulk that that can happen. But if you're not going to collect it to recycle it, nobody else is either. When it comes to plastics, you've got to understand what sustainability means to you and to your brand, right? Plastics can, they can help reduce uh, your carbon footprint in many instances, but then it's also going to have a, a small chance of being recycled, which then defeats the whole purpose of sustainability, right? If we can create a bunch of material that reduces our carbon footprint, but then sits here forever, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't help. Uh, on the paper side, you can, you know, increase your carbon footprint, but then it gets recycled. Then that material can be repurposed and reused, um, and it doesn't take any space on the planet. Just, you know, conversations to have. Neither is the right one. I can't tell you which is the right one. You got to figure out what it means to your brand and then communicate that to your consumer so they understand what that, what that means. Poly bags. Poly bags are a nightmare for everybody, right? Every brand is looking to replace poly bags. I had a conversation uh, this morning with the CEO and founder of Native Shoes, a killer little shoe uh, company <clears throat> that is uh, made out of EVA uh, plastic, but the shoe, which you can crush and still put on, they still have to polybag those shoes. Um, you know, and the question was like, well, why do you even polybag it? Well, because it can't get scuffed. Um, it keeps moisture out. There's all these different reasons that polybags happen. Right? And there's, and if you're in, if you're in tech, then you've got to polybag it. You've got to have a poly wrap. You've got to have some type of protective coating on the outside of your uh, product in order to keep it from scratching, collecting dust, collecting moisture. 
Um, if you're in fashion, you got the same thing. You got to keep moisture out of your fabric so you don't get mold. There's so many different reasons why you have poly, poly bags. You know, there are companies out there that sell paper bags um, that claim to be able to replace poly bags. From the tests I've seen, they don't. I mean, it's paper, right? And it's typically like a tissue paper. Um, so if you put a shirt in a tissue paper bag and then you throw it around like a, like somebody's going to do it at a distribution center, when that paper bag lands, that tissue paper bag lands, things are going to rip. You know, if you've got buttons and snaps on your stuff, when that rubs against that tissue paper, it's going to rip. So it's going to create a bigger mess than a solution. So the first question you've got to ask is whether you even need a poly bag in the first place and why you need a poly bag. Many times the manufacturer, the product, right? It goes back to the manufacturer. The manufacturers use poly bags to protect their product from dust, dirt, and various, you know, variety of other external forces that can deteriorate the appearance of the product, right? Um, I can, if I'm the factory to make you a million white t-shirts, now from the time I make them to the time I deliver them, we get moths, we get a dust storm, we get, you know, t-shirts fall on the floor, they get dirty. When you pick those up, you're not going to want to, you're not going to want to accept all the ones that are dirty. So for the factory, the manufacturer, it makes sense to poly bag that stuff to protect their investment in, in the product, right? Because you're paying them for a quality product and they've got to make sure that it exchanges hands in that condition. This is why, you know, this way your brand can't ask them for a credit on the five items that had fingerprints on them or had dust on them or had moths or whatever. And that's why poly bags are used. And then from there, the distribution warehouse, the, the DC is only gonna, the distribution center is only gonna accept items that are poly bagged, right? So that they aren't responsible for any damage to your product. If it's not poly bagged, then how can you guarantee that six out of those you know, 100 shirts or whatever it is, whatever those items are that arrived, didn't already arrive with fingerprints. So before you try to replace the poly bag, find out why it's there and then determine the best course of action. You know, now, also consider the fact that flexible films like poly bags or grocery bags, those aren't accepted curbside in the US. Uh, Canada accepts them curbside, but in the US, it's not accepted curbside. So what you're asking is for the consumer to drive that poly bag to the grocery store to drop it off to get recycled. Slim chance. And 100%, your poly bags don't say, drive this to the store. It might even just have a recycle symbol on it because technically it is recyclable, but it's not collected curbside. So consumers are throwing that poly bag in the recycle bin in the US. It's going to the MRF. MRFs are taking up those plastic poly bags out. They're separating them and sending them to landfill. Save the step and explain it to your consumer. Poly mailers, these are the plastic envelopes that a ton of brands out there use to ship you know, soft goods, t-shirts. Clothes. Um, some brands out there buy compostable poly mailers and they brand them with compostable symbols and recycle symbols. But again, there's not a ton of composting going on. There's not a ton of composting going on at the landfill. You know, and they might even be certified compostable because under specific environments, they will compost, but there isn't a collection service for this in the US that's you know nationwide. There are a few municipalities that do collect for compost. That's awesome. If that's where you're selling, that's great. If that's not where you're selling, that sucks. Uh, but find, you know, how many of your consumers actually compost, like truly compost the right way? Uh, if it's home compostable, 
you know, you still have to compost properly. You don't just bury it in your yard and forget about it. Um, so do your research, make the right choice. Don't get swayed by the research done by the supplier of the material because it's their job to get you to buy it. You know, don't trust them that they're going to, um, you know, give you the right information. Again, polyfilm lamination, some of those are recyclable. Once you put it on paper, it's not recyclable in most instances. Uh, if it does get recycled, it gets downcycled. So, you know, they're not lying to you when they tell you it's recyclable. They're letting you assume it's recyclable when it gets on paper. Same thing with compostable. Just make sure you do your homework, ask questions, call the Merck, say, hey, if this shows up, what are you doing with it? Foil. So foil is a big one, right? Foil has a ton of people confused from the US to Europe to South America, you name it, whatever brand I've spoken to and whatever region they're at, the question of foil always comes up. Everybody's confused. So if you put a foil logo on a paper box, you can't recycle it. That is not true. If you use Mylar foil paper to line a box, it is not recyclable. That is true. So don't get hung up on the semantics of not recyclable or recyclable. You know what I mean? When I say something is not recyclable, it means that it's not going to be accepted and separated to recycle it. Can it be recycled? Yes. Anything can be recycled depending on your definition of recycling. So with foil, there's going to be thresholds, right? How much coverage is there? Less than 40%, yes, it can be recycled, right? So if you've got a logo on a gigantic shopping bag, as long as there's less than 40% coverage on that paper of foil, it can be recycled. In some areas, it can go up to 60%. But again, unless you're selling in that specific area, try to keep it global. 40% is what I've found is uh, accepted. Over 40%, you know, there's a good chance it might be improperly sorted by the equipment and it might not register as paper. So be safe. Keep it under 40. Spot UV, silk screen, same thing. Keep it under 40 and you're golden. Tissue paper. Now, why do I bring up tissue paper? Because so many brands out there are using it as dunnage. Space filler. Same thing this morning, this morning with the conversation with the uh, founder of the shoe company. They use tissue to wrap their, the, the shoes. But the reason, you know, the real reason is because we remember, you know, as kids, right? We opened up grandma's president, you know, presents from like Macy's and it'd be a flimsy box with an ugly, itchy, scratchy sweater and it'd be full of tissue, right? We remember what that noise sounded like. There's a bit of nostalgia there with tissue, but it's pointless. Right. Tissue has been around forever and it's completely useless. It's a material that is super thin. It's made up of recycled pulp. Um, it's typically never recycled again because at this point, the fibers are so short. There is not enough content there to actually do anything with it. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's a waste of space. Don't use it. If you need a space filler for like e-commerce, don't use tissue. Um, you can use craft paper. You can use, uh, there's a company out there, there's a product called Giami. Um, it's like a craft paper that has die cuts on it, or you, where you stretch it and expand it, and it creates a really nice cushion. Um, and people use those airbags, those plastic airbags. Don't use those. You can't recycle them. So they're just trash. Yeah, I've seen some that say compostable, but it's the same shit. Just, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying to avoid being sued. So I will say that they can't be recycled under specific instances. Um, 
but you're probably not going to find yourself in any of those instances. Neither is your customer. So no. Uh, use a paper sheet if you're using, if you need uh, dunnage filler, way to wrap your product inside of a box or whatever it is that you're using. Use a paper sheet. Pick something over 150 GSM. You can find one that's 100% PCW. That's great. Um, find something that can be easily recycled or design your packaging to even to not need filler uh, in between the product and um, and the packaging. And does it really need tissue? Does it really need that extra wrap of of whatever? Put a paperboard over the top of it and brand it. You know, so when somebody opens the box and they see this paperboard, they remove that paperboard and then they see your product, right? That's what I did with uh, with IDP Direct and Walpole and James Cropper. Is when you open that box, instead of seeing the the product, you saw this panel. And this panel had an all over deboss. It was it told the whole story. And then you lifted that panel, and then below there was the product. The entire box could just be thrown right into the recycle bin because it was mono material. There was no inks. Um, it was it was pretty pretty special. So there's a ton more. You know, but these are just a collection of everything that I've discussed, that I've learned, um, that I've, you know, spoken to different brands about, and I've learned from different um, MRFs, different sustainability experts. These are the secrets to sustainable packaging. Um, you know, there's a ton more. I'll probably do another one of these, another late night. Um, you know, take a listen to this. If you like this, if you like this format, let me know. I'm happy to continue doing these. I'll probably do a part two next Thursday. Um, let's see. There's other stuff that we can get into. We can talk about sizing and how size matters, and you know what modular packaging is and how to reduce um, you know carbon footprint in, in different and a variety of different ways. There's a ton of stuff we can talk about. Um, so find me on LinkedIn. Let me know what you think of this episode, and uh, maybe I'll do more. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, thanks so much for the, leaving the reviews on PackageDesignUnbox.com or in Apple, Audible, um, wherever it is that you listen to podcast, rate this, review it. I appreciate it. And uh, we continue, we hope to continue to keep growing. Um, it's getting super late here. It's almost uh, 1am and I'm out. Good night, guys. <laughs>